my advice to clients is to say, even if you don't necessarily believe AI will give you a swift ROI in the short term, you still need to think about the medium to long term where the competition for knowledge and for talent is ramping up. If you aren't in that game, you will get left behind. The following is a conversation with Mark Pierce. Mark has spent over 40 years designing, building and integrating financial technology solutions, working primarily in trading, risk management, data management and CLM CRM teams, as well as being awarded the title of Distinguished Engineer and scoring in the top 2% of Stack Overflow. Mark is a technical blogger, an open source contributor and was an author for Microsoft Press and Appress. He combines his technical and business knowledge to deliver the right solutions for Delta Capital's clients. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. The first question I wanted to ask you is how does the generative AI paradigm affect our clients? Hello, thanks for inviting me. Good question. Jumping right to the core of the action. I think we should start first by defining what we mean by generative AI. If we start with AI, it's fundamentally a marketing term, not really a technical term. It's a marketing term that describes a set of machine learning technologies. So you can think about things like neural networks, large language models, transformers, diffusion models, deep learning. These are all different technologies, which together make up AI. And up until quite recently, the machine learning and AI that we were doing has been largely limited to predictive models. And those are models that are used to observe and classify patterns in content. And to give an example, you start with many images of cats. An AI model will identify patterns in those images and learn which cat images matched the adorable pattern. But now technologies have moved on and we're now able to create cat images or indeed text descriptions of cats on demand. And this is what we mean by generative AI, where we're harnessing machine learning in novel ways to generate new content. And that content is synthesized and summarized from a large data set, a large volume of existing content. And that generative AI, whereas the main focus as far as the public is concerned has been on text, on generating textual content and to a lesser degree image content. It can also produce code, it can produce video, it can produce music, websites, video games, business simulations, and many other content types. So if we're asking what it means in terms of our clients, in terms of financial services organizations, I would say that there is two big opportunities. One is the tremendous speed of change in this field. So we've gone in, in the space of three months. We've gone from large models built by tech giants, taking millions of dollars to build and many months, to much smaller models built in terms of days and built in terms of hundreds of dollars of costs rather than millions of dollars. And those smaller models are effective competition for the large models. So basically, what's happened is the large tech companies have blazed the path, and now there's dozens or even hundreds of smaller companies and even individuals who are building on that, expanding it, exploring it, enhancing it, 
And a lot of that is open source, which means that our clients can take advantage of it. They can take models, such as the Facebook model that was open sourced recently, and use that to, as a bootstrap for their own effort. And I would say the second opportunity is our clients have got lots of large data silos. They've got silos around the trading, silos around, for example, suspicious activity report. They generate huge volumes of data day by day. And they've got a unique opportunity to use their own generated data to train their models for their own specific use cases. An example is if you're doing trade surveillance, something like transaction monitoring, you can use 10 years of suspicious activity reports that you have combined with each of your own customers' trading activity history and be able to be able to define patterns and generate suspicious activities. Generate activities that are likely to be suspicious. Those, I would say, are the two major opportunities for our clients as a generative AI paradigm. It's moving very fast and it involves large amount of data, both of which our clients are, can exploit. On the topic of opportunities for our clients, what, if any, are the risks associated with those opportunities? Well, yeah, obviously there are risks and rewards to any new technology. And AI is no different in that respect. So let's take some of those risks first. One major risk is that current AI models are optimized to produce persuasive content. They're not optimized to produce accurate content. And that causes a problem because if you have models optimized to produce persuasive content and you only want to produce accurate content, you need to take steps to improve the models, improve the training, because just like any human, a generative AI can sometimes produce, for lack of a better term, BS. So the AI loses tracks, loses track of precise relationships, and it uses a heavy use for technique called embeddings, which makes the AI really good at substituting synonyms and more broadly related phrases, but also leads the AI astray and produces what some people call hallucinations, other people call yes, but it's a major risk. If you are working with AI to improve business, you cannot really emphasize enough the importance of changing your data and your training to emphasize accurate content rather than persuasive content. The second risk is that AI models are only as good as the data they've been trained on. In any organization that looks at this data, you'll always see distinct biases, you'll see very uncertain, very sketchy data quality. And those biases and quality issues will have a large impact on what the AI model produces in terms of accuracy, trustworthiness, bias, and even outright deception in some cases. Now, those are couple of the major risks. In terms of the rewards, well, they should really think about transforming the way we do business with financial services. Now that we've got open source models, generative AI models, that are several orders of magnitude cheaper and faster to create than the big tech players such as ChatGPT and Bard, our, our clients can experiment 
really fast and quite cheaply. By really fast, I'm talking about days or weeks. And by cheap, I'm talking hundreds or thousands of dollars, as opposed to the very big, big tech AR models, which are months and millions of dollars. I think every form of business will be potentially affected, all the way from the customer experience at the top of the stack, down through cost efficiencies, time efficiencies, content creation, business processes. All of these things are going to be affected. And it's really down to every organization to decide where they want to focus their efforts. As I alluded to before, you can do this now in days and hundreds of dollars. You don't have to risk a huge amount of time and a huge amount of money on making these experiments. You've just made reference to persuasive versus accurate content. Do you mind just explaining that in a bit more detail? It's an interesting problem, a wrenching challenge that the AI scientists have to solve. What they've done up to now is they've tried to, let's take an example, let's take large language models which produce text answers based on prompting. What the scientists have tried to do is imitate how a human would answer those questions. So convincing and persuasive answers that a human would make and all seeing, all knowing human who has access to all the data in the world and can synthesize an argument and and summarize information and produce a compelling answer. Compelling and persuasive is not the same as accurate. If you look at, I'll just go to Twitter, you will see many cases in which the chatbot, which is what produces the text answers, produces persuasive content that is actually completely and totally wrong. An example I saw recently, it backed up its argument with with a reference to a scientific paper, which doesn't exist, including pages which don't exist. The authors exist, but the paper doesn't exist. The journal in which the paper was supposed to have been produced exists. The scientists exist, the journal exists. The paper doesn't exist, and nor do the pages, and nor do any of the references from the paper exist. And that's down to the way the model has been built. It's been not been built to optimize truth and accuracy. So you really have to be careful here because what the current AI models are optimized for is not necessarily what our clients want to optimize their models for. I could go technically into how that works, into embeddings and what leads the AI astray and the way the transformers work, but that's probably too technical for this podcast. And feel free to contact us if you want, if you want the details and some ideas on how to optimize for accuracy rather than persuasiveness. But yeah, it is a significant challenge that the AI scientists face and that our clients will also face. Okay, thank you, Mark. One other thing you mentioned is the quality of data, specifically if you do not have high quality data, then the models or the output of the models will not be as good as they could be. So how would our clients go about ensuring that the data they have is as good as it can be. And to the point that you've just explained as well, how do they make sure that the output is not persuasive, but accurate? It's not an easy problem to solve. If it was easy, they would have done it already. There are open source projects which are attempting to address some of these questions or some of these challenges. I think there are two major approaches to this. Number one is, you start with the data. You have to improve the data quality 
completeness, accuracy, blah, blah, blah. And you have to improve. We had to compensate for the data biases. You need to explore the data set and say, is it biased one way or the other? Where is it coming from? What does it represent? Is it representing one part of the population, all the population? Is the data good enough? So you really need a lot of data analysis and data exploration. The good news is, over the last six weeks or so, the open source projects have produced a stackable training mechanism, whereby you don't need to retrain the model from scratch. You can actually stack new training on top of old training to compensate for problems. So when you see problems, you can re retrain, private data, improve the training, retrain in a stackable way. And that's a good news. And there's some interesting work being done by two or three open source projects on this. The second way you can compensate is by an extra learning on top of the typically unsupervised learning that the model initially does. You can reinforce the learning with humans. The humans check outputs, check what should be coming out of the model versus what does come out of the model, and make specific prompts to test the model. Basically, this is just testing and debugging the model, and then retraining the model, providing new data or new training, which forces the model to compensate for its current issues. Now, this is very human-intensive and not ideal. Ideally, you want to fix a problem at the source in the data rather than fixing it after the training. But in reality, you, you probably need to do both. So when we discuss humans in the loop, so to speak, so the human interaction with AI, so you previously mentioned that AI can impact any part of the business, from content creation to pretty much anything else. If we take the example of marketing, how do you foresee the interaction between the AI and the employees when it comes to content creation and anything else that that job might entail? At the moment, with the current state of technology, and for the foreseeable future, by which I mean six to 12 months, because this stuff is changing really fast, on an incredibly fast scale. People just, many people just do not understand the speed at which it is happening. But in the, in the near to medium term, three to 12 months, I see the AI as complementing humans. So if you take the marketing example, the AI will help to, for example, it will produce an initial deck or an initial marketing, which will then be amended by the human marketers, by the copy editors will be changed, improved, will be fed back through a couple of model iterations. It's interesting because there's a whole new science developing called prompt engineering which is how do you improve the model's output by asking it the right questions, providing the right context and the right level of detail. So there will be, there is already an industry springing up around prompt engineering, which is very human intensive. A friend of mine is currently doing prompt engineering, getting paid quarter million dollars a year, doing nothing but prompt engineering. Now, that gives you some idea of how valuable some of these scientists are going to be, some of these engineers are going to be, 
think for engineers more than scientists, really. But yeah, these will complement humans. This technology complements humans as opposed to replacing humans for many tasks. Not all tasks, but for many tasks. Of course, as the technology develops over time, then we do run some very interesting industry and society risks in terms of will the machines replace humans for many of these tasks. And no one knows the answer to that. It's difficult to predict what's going to happen over the next three months, let alone over the next 12 months. No one predicted this open source explosion of small models that's happened. But if we look, if we draw some broad lines, if we look at past AI, I have a history in, for example, of AI in playing games of chess and Go. If we look at those examples, yes, in dedicated use cases, the machines eventually place the humans, which doesn't mean to say the humans are unemployed. It just means to say you need to further up the value chain or give them different types of jobs. But this is a risk that in the medium to long term industry is facing. You've brought up an interesting point on prompt engineering, which is the interaction with AI to get the most out of it, so to speak. How do you think prompt engineering informs the way or should inform the way that we interact with AI? AI is basically a black box. It's really difficult to understand exactly what's happening inside the box. You can understand general principles how training works, but exactly what's happening inside the box. There's a whole different science called explaining AI, which is also going to move by fast now, I think, because there's difficulty of understanding what's happening. So given we can't understand what's happening inside the box, the only thing we can really tune is what's happening as inputs into the box, into that black box. And that's what's called prompt engineering. The more context you can give the AI, and the more detail you can give the AI, so an example might be if you're, you want the AI to generate a website for you, you know, you could give it a prompt. You could say, I want to create a website. But if you say instead, I want to create a finance tracker website using React.js and Redux, two programming technologies, that gives the AI much more to work with than just, I want to create a website. So basically, prompt engineering is the art of creating a stream of questions that provide the context on a level of detail for the AI to produce a good, in inverted commas, answer, and for various values of good. Maybe by good, you mean convincing and persuasive answer. Maybe you mean an accurate and truthful answer. Maybe you just mean an answer that matches my expectations. But the type of answer that you want will dictate the prompts that you provide. So you're almost turning the thing on its head, saying, what type of answer do I want? And that will dictate what type of prompts I need to give the AI. And also prompt engineering is not just about the prompts themselves, but it's about tuning the model parameters. So let's take an example. Did all large language models have a parameter called temperature, which controls randomness, in other words, the diversity of the generated outputs. If you change that temperature, the value of that temperature parameter, that will have a significant impact on the output of the model. So you're not just playing around with the inputs into the model, 
you're playing around with the model parameters itself. And all of that is part of prompt engineering. So when it comes to prompt engineering, it can be quite difficult to know how to do that properly, probably why your friend is getting paid quite a bit of money to do so. But for someone that doesn't have any experience in it or hasn't studied the field or doesn't work in the, in the same role, I've experimented with asking the AI a generic prompt of, I want to create a website. And then I asked it to ask me a bunch of questions for it to know what kind of website I want and to produce the best possible output. And then I got a list of questions that I had to answer. Do you think that is a viable strategy for prompt engineering? It absolutely is. The AI can give it enough level of detail about what you want and say, what questions should I ask about that? It, the AI will spit out some very reasonable looking questions. And that will teach you, basically, help you learn. This is a very experimental science, maybe more of an art than a science. Basically, how do you learn? It's like you have a relationship with any other human, your relationship with a friend or with someone who's not a friend, someone you just met, an acquaintance, who you think might be a friend. You need to learn about that person. You need to understand what that person thinks, how he or she thinks, what their views of the world are. And in the same way, you're interacting with a, I don't want to call it an artificial person because it's not, but you're interacting with a synthetic intelligence and you need to learn how that intelligence operates and how it works. And the more you dig in, the more you'll get more rewarding output, good output, whatever your value of good is. One of the running themes of getting the most out of AI is having good and a lot of data. So if we then take the scenario of maybe a smaller firm or maybe a part of a firm that just doesn't have a lot of data to provide the AI with, do you think prompt engineering can be used to somehow circumvent the limitation of not having a lot of data and then kind of open up the possibility of potentially using AI to scale in the first place before a company gets really big or a certain process gets quite onerous or intensive? No, I don't think prompt engineering will generally be very effective for doing that. You may not need large amounts of data. I think you need good data. I mean, the more data you've got, the better, typically. But the, the quality of the data is also a very significant factor. If you, if you don't have much data, for example, if you're a startup and you want to create a product that helps banks do trade surveillance, you don't have access to all those suspicious activity reports or trading history that the banks have. You only have access to small amounts of it in terms of what's openly available. You would typically have to either find a bank with which to work on the data, or you'd have to generate data yourself that has some resemblance to reality and has some specific use cases, some very suspicious activities combined with a lot of non-suspicious activities. You can generate the data and then you tune it with every new client. You tune it to their specific needs. So to some extent, if you're a startup, it's less about the data and more about the model. You need to have a model that's tuned the weights and the parameters 
are tuned to the particular use case that you are selling to your clients. The data, the real data, will hopefully come from each client and will be used to tune your product for that client. So you may tune it on a base set of openly available data and then you tune that to that particular client based on their specific data. As I said before, it's stackable now. Literally in the last four weeks, they've created, there's a technique called LORA, which allows you to stack training one on top of the other. And up to now, as a big tech, people have basically ignored LORA and they've suddenly realized literally in the last four weeks, LORA is a key to scaling this stuff up and retraining and training again and again. And this is a very volatile field. Technology is moving tremendously fast. Sometimes there's even days and not weeks where changes are happening. But yeah, as a startup, I would say focus on the model more than the data, at least initially. Is that the case across business functions? So if, for example, we were to compare client service desks with transaction monitoring, do the same principles apply or would it differ between the functions in terms of needing a better model over a lot of data? They will differ. The models need to, the model parameters will differ. The, even probably the way you train the model will, will differ. Each use case is specific. I mean, the base model, the core model is the same, especially as the new modern models specifically built to handle multiple use cases, both in terms of what domain they're dealing with and in terms of what they're called multi-modality. That's in terms of what output they produce. But, it, but I would say at the moment, we're still in the, in the realm of models built upon specific use cases and tuned for specific use cases because the science is still in its right at the very beginning. It, it will evolve really, really fast. If we talk again in a year's time, I think the market and the picture will look very different. We'll have things like AI as a service. It's already starting to happen, but we'll have real AI as a service. We'll have things like trade surveillance as a service. We'll have that type of level of sophistication, I think. So I recently spoke to Ed Adcock, who is the principal data science consultant here at Delta Capital, and he spoke quite a bit about model drift and the potential risks associated with model drift. Now, in reference to the stackable components that you have mentioned before, do you think they positively or negatively impact those risks, i.e. do they mitigate them or do they amplify them? I think they mitigate the risk of model drift. They're designed to keep the previous training and not go off on tangents. But model drift is definitely a serious issue. There is, even with the stackable training, I'm sure Ed Edcock talked about the dangers of model drift and how to avoid it. And the reality is at the moment, we still don't understand it very well. We still don't understand how to control it. We're right at the beginning of this revolution, which could be as big as the industrial revolution in some ways. And the techniques will evolve really fast. The tools will evolve really fast. We need to handle all these challenges. We need to handle challenges like the data quality, the data accuracy, the model drift stuff. There'll be cool work done by the big tech data scientists, and then building on that will be all the open source stuff. What's interesting is you're already seeing some interesting behavior from the big players in the field. And last 
six weeks, Google has stopped issuing any papers on AI. Zero. Be a directive come out to saying, we don't have a competitive advantage here. We don't have a moat. Or what is our moat? Therefore, stop. No AI papers get produced. So things like model drift, they're well already being addressed by some of the players. When you find out about those techniques and how you find out about those techniques, it's all part of a very competitive landscape. And I would say that our clients probably don't need to worry about that so much because they could be making small experiments, hopefully well-controlled experiments, and they won't be going all in on the big stuff. And don't think those risks are so bad when you're doing relatively small experiments. As you scale up bigger, that's when the risks become much more significant when you have to start, when it moves from an easily controllable problem or problems to basically needing some serious data science and AI science to deal with. That's my feeling. But again, this field changes so fast. In six months' time, I could be proven completely wrong. So historically on the podcast, I've been touching on a lot of the risk aspects associated with some of the new technologies, just because I think that that's quite important if someone is looking to implement something new or, or leverage something new. And in the same breath, I ask every guest what the relative risks are to someone not leveraging the new technology or implementing the new technology. So what are your thoughts on the risks of someone not leveraging AI? Well, the risk is they simply get left behind by their competitors. The competitors will produce some successful experiments. They'll make experiments. Maybe 20 or 30% of the experiments will succeed. And in those areas, the people who don't make those experiments will get left behind. That's one risk. Another risk is that if you don't have people and teams who understand this paradigm, then when the, the technical hurdles are slowly overcome, or fastly overcome, quickly overcome, you'll be left behind again because you will have competitors who do have knowledge of what's going on and will be able to take swift advantage of each new incremental change that happens, or even revolutionary change that happens. Now, the next year or so probably will be revolutionary in many ways. My advice to the clients is to say, even if you don't necessarily believe AI will give you a swift ROI in the short term, you still need to think about the medium to long term. The competition for knowledge and for talent is ramping up. If you aren't in that game, you will get left behind. You just will. This stuff, it's not your, your daddy's AI, your grandfather's AI. This is, I used AI in the 1980s. Went to a big AI winter in the 1990s. And this is different. This feels different to me. To me, this feels like, without being too dramatic, it feels like it's a, another type of industrial revolution. And to be clear, I don't think without getting philosophical. This is not about AGI, artificial general intelligence. We aren't creating human-level intelligences. That's not, that's a decade or two or three decades away. This is purely, we're talking in the next one to three years, six months to three years. We're talking not artificial humans or artificial, real artificial intelligence, but just tools that business can use. It's literally just tools. 
They're not like these, you know, mythical terminators, maybe in our distant future. Then we're on the first steps to that, but we're a long way away from, we're decades away from anything having to face anything like that. These are purely tools. And we should, our clients should be using these tools, learning about these tools and taking advantage of them for what would be relatively small outlets. Is no longer really big cost or time sinks. I'm aware that the podcast is already quite long, so I'm going to stop the podcast here. But thank you so much for coming on, Mark. It's been very interesting to pick your brain on AI. And if I may, I'll invite you to the podcast again at some point in the future because all of these emerging technologies are linked together and often complement each other to progress faster or to produce better results. So having your input again on some future topic might be very interesting to myself and the audience. Sure, it's been a pleasure. The more we can spread this knowledge and the more we can get people to understand what's happening, the more we can direct this stuff in the right direction and create positive impacts on with this technology. That concludes this episode of the DC Tech Talks podcast. And if you have any questions about anything that we've discussed or that you've heard, please contact us at dc.tech.talks at deltacapital.com. <laughs>